There are some tremendous hymns in the hymn book that we rarely uh, sing. And this is on a theme. All these are on a theme which I I felt drawn to uh, this evening. We're in Romans and we've reached chapter 14. It's quite a key chapter dealing with a real vitally important issue. Uh, The opening statement really sets up the next uh, chapter and a half or so. Um, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. This whole area uh, within the body of Christ, within a local church, wasting time and nervous energy on winning an argument that's not worth the winning. Fighting battles that aren't worth fighting. Uh, chasing each other around in circles. You've seen dogs doing that silly thing. They chase their tail. What's, what, what, what's that about? What's the point of that? They don't make any progress. And, and we have a great mandate to go and make the gospel known and make disciples of all nations. That's where we should be thinking and focusing. Uh, how do we make Christ known? How do I know him more myself and grow in grace and encourage you and you encourage me to know Christ better and to serve him well and to be equipped to declare uh, the gospel. These are the important things. But the devil would love us to uh, be led up blind alleys and to have uh, quarrels over opinions. As we saw last Sunday, the, uh, the Greek is something of a play on words. Don't dispute over disputables. Don't have disputes over disputables. Well, the question really we came to last week is, uh, what are these disputables? And what we saw quite clearly is that they are not gospel issues. Certain things are absolutely fundamental to the gospel, without which you could not be a Christian. And we will have uh, disputes with those who say that Jesus Christ is not the son of the living God. And we tighten down on that and say that he is the creator of the universe. He's co-equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. These things are indisputables. Uh, We thought about the creeds and I read the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. And we could go on through that great statement. These things are indisputable. And we stand on them. And uh, much of what uh, Paul has said in Romans chapters 1 through to 11 are just those indisputable essentials of the gospel. So what are the disputables? Well, they're not gospel issues. It's not Romans chapters 1 to 11. And I made that quite clear. And then I went on to say that uh, the disputables are things that we could agree to disagree on, and uh, that the issues in Rome, because there were Jews and Gentiles in Rome, were about food laws and about certain special days, and the Gentiles and the Jews might disagree on that. And after a Sunday morning sermon on the wonder of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you could end up over open lunch with the Jews arguing with the Gentiles and certain factions of Jews arguing with other Jews and Gentiles going hammer and tongs about food and what you can eat. Don't eat that pork sausage roll there. That's not, and, uh, and being judgmental 
and then despising the one who's eating the sausage roll. And uh, instead of focusing on the glory of Jesus Christ, and the wonder of the gospel, living it out and getting our neighbors to come along and hear and witnessing to them, they're talking about sausage rolls. They're disputing about disputable secondary issues. And uh, so we finished last week by saying, well, we looked at some principles uh, governing the first part of Romans chapter 14. And then we were going on this week to look at some of the issues that might be affecting us as a local church and uh, how to respond to each other when we hold differences of opinion on certain matters. But I had an email in the week, and I'm, I'm glad to get uh, feedback on sermons. It's, it's actually pretty rare to get any feedback, and when I don't get feedback, I'm just assuming all is, is well. And even when I get emails, generally they're, they're pretty positive, and this was positive as well. It did have a little caveat that I, I might have given the impression that all things that are not gospel issues, we shouldn't bother having an argument about, not an argument, but a discussion, holding a firm line. And uh, what about issues of morality and the, the, the way that we uh, live in society today, distinctive Christian living, which I would maintain, and of course we would all recognise, must flow from chapters 1 to 11. But I thought it was worth time then uh, slowing up and expanding and clarifying and uh, to do things like this, I mean, my usual method is to go very slowly through a passage. And uh, we'd have spent a whole week on verse 1. And then we'd have moved on a little bit further. And there's so much here in Romans chapter 14. If I had another 10 years, we would complete Romans in a, an orderly, slow manner. So the right thing to do, I think, is to proceed at my normal speed and to see where we get in the next three or four weeks, which perhaps won't be very far, but we should certainly complete this particular section on disputing over disputables. Just to clarify then, it is not a matter of debate that we believe the basic gospel principles. And neither is it disputable that having understood and responded to the gospel, we should live a gospel life that portrays the Lord Jesus Christ to a watching world? A disputable area then is not keeping the law of God. It's why I read Psalm 119. We're thinking particularly now about the Decalogue and the Ten Commandments. It must not be disputed among Christians that we should live according to the law of God. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law by living a perfect life. Then he died the death that I deserve. He's counted as the sinner in my place condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Now he didn't save me in order for me to just live a loose life. Jesus Christ has set me free to live according to his wonderful 
law. It is his gospel law. He has set me free to be and set me free, therefore, to do. And to be comes before do. Frank Sinatra sang, do, be, do, be, do. The Christian is be, do, be, do, be. You can't do without being. And to do the right things, I must be the right thing. And in Christ, I am the right thing. Glory to God. And he, guided by the law, the Decalogue in particular, the Holy Spirit within me, gives me a desire now to live the life divine. And so having understood the gospel, I then live out the applications of the gospel. I'm just going slowly through it as we have been doing, but maybe a little bit too fast. Chapter 12 begins with an appeal to the mercies of God, what he's done for us in the gospel. And the response is, I don't live as I want to do. I I live according to God's law. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in view of what God has done for us, present your bodies, this physical thing, all that I am, as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, the logical conclusion to the gospel. I live for him. It matters how I live. Do not be conformed to this world, living for self, sensuality and sin, immorality. Do anything you want to do. Do not be conformed to this world. Now the pressure's on to do that, as the hymns we were singing Uh, maintain as my own heart bears witness to your hearts too if you're a human being (laughs) great pressure on to conform but don't go that way but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect and then going through we didn't rush chapter 12 we didn't particularly rush chapter 13 But chapter 12 and verse 9 and chapter 13, verse 8 onwards, vital gospel principle here, linking into God's law. Having understood the gospel, I need to live out the gospel. What is living out the gospel? It's living according to God's holy law. And the centre of God's law is a law of love. You take the Ten Commandments. Now we have to have spelt out the negatives. But behind it all is a great positive. What's the law of God? What's the gospel set me free to do? Love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and love my neighbour as myself. Now the world says, no, love yourself. Be the first businessman into space. Spend a few hundred billion dollars on, on that. Do it. You deserve it. You're successful. God says, no. No, love God, love your neighbour as yourself. This is the fulfilling of the law. In this is the law and the commandments. So chapter 12 and verse 9, let love, agape, be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Chapter 13 and verse 8, oh, no one anything. Don't be a debtor to anybody with anything except... To love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. He's talking about the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love, love God, love your neighbor, the same passion you love yourself love agape is the fulfilling of the law the ten commandments the moral law at its heart is a law of love in the gospel i've been set free to love god and love my neighbor the moral law so let's make it absolutely clear moral matters are not disputables so we can have a hearty interaction about such issues. And I have a hearty discussion with myself, first of all. If I look at anybody else, oh, I wish so-and-so had been here. They really needed to hear that. Well, they're not. You are, and I am. So it wasn't for them, was it? It's no good you say, oh, I wish they weren't. God was able to bring them. He didn't. He brought you and he brought me. So if the cap fits, wear it. If the word's coming to you, it's for you. It's for you. So you talk to yourself, first of all. What is God saying to me? And having taken the plank out of my own eye, I can then go to my brother and have a little conversation about the way that maybe he's drifting in a certain area or she's drifting in a certain area or becoming a little bit loose on, on, on the edges in certain areas. Once I've dealt with myself and taken out the plank, then I can have a chat over a sausage roll at open lunch with Cyril or Margaret on certain issues that are not disputables, but absolutely plain in the word of God. And towards the end of chapter 13, uh, those issues have been made abundantly clear by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, the church in Rome, AD 55 or so, the afterglow of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, the rapid expansion of the church going to all nations, the persecutions that came successively within Jerusalem and then certainly in, in Rome and other places where the apostles were preaching, only had the effect of refining the church and uh, expanding the church still further. And we might imagine that the church in Rome was just something wonderful to be. You might think, oh, you know, being members here, we might look around and think, oh, I wish I was a member in such and such a place and uh, I've been here for long enough. Maybe it's time to move on here or, or go there. It'd be better to try that one. I've heard there's this going on there and that going on there. Well, God placed me here. God placed you here, has he made a mistake? I um, married Jill 41 years ago, and I think being a member in a church isn't dissimilar. 
we, we make a, a commitment to serve the Lord. Now, maybe if you uh, move job or go somewhere else and move house, it's time to move on. Maybe you could still be a member in St. Mary's Baptist Church if you live in uh, Inverness. Although with online, all sorts is possible these days. If there is immorality or heresy in a local church, I think it is time to shake the dust off your feet and, and move on. We might look elsewhere and think, oh, it's probably better there. We might think about Rome. Oh, it would have been lovely to have been there. I tell you, there were real problems in Rome. That's why Paul, after he's written those first 11 chapters where we say, wow, starts to really inspire by the Spirit. Apply. Gospel truth. That must be manifest in a gospel life such that uh, it would really hurt the people in Rome to hear these things. And so he comes to the end of chapter 13. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Sleepy Christians there in Rome. Any sleepy Christians here tonight? Anybody asleep in the light? For salvation is nearer for us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Christ. He could return at any moment. The day is far spent. I love that phrase. Far gone, far spent. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. So then let us, speaking. He includes himself here. Paul's only a sinner saved by grace. Mighty apostle, let us, he includes himself. Let us, I include myself. Myself, pastor, the elders, the deacons, the members, the regular attenders here. What do we need to do? I hope you don't find this offensive, but you need to cast off the deeds of darkness. I haven't got any. You're deluded, my friend. You are seriously deluded. Cast them off, he says, and it's this strong word, the only physical action in the New Testament where casting off is applied was where the Sanhedrin cast Stephen out, gnashed their teeth and then stoned him. It's a, it's a violence. Cast off the works of darkness. It was ha- in Rome, there were Christians... Involved in works of darkness. And put on the armour of light. Cast off, put on. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime. He's speaking to Christians now in Rome. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarrelling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. To gratify its desires. He's writing to Rome. First century church. Cast off. Put on. He's referring to the law here. And the commandments of God. He knows that they're being broken by members there in Rome. And he focuses in on a particular issue. He's going to focus on the seventh commandment for the church in Rome. He focuses on the seventh commandment for the church in 
Corinth. Which commandment would he focus on for the church in St. Melons generally? Which commandment would he focus on for you in particular? For the rich young ruler, he honed in on the 10th commandment. That was for him. Uh, greed, avarice, wanting more. He goes away, he rejects eternal life because he was very wealthy. Gain and getting gain. But here in Rome, the moral issue was the seventh commandment. And it's rife, certainly today, throughout the church, certainly in Western society, I'm sure throughout the whole world, nothing much changes. Then and now, there and here. So verse 13. Let's focus on this then. Living a gospel life. It is indisputable we must walk properly. It is indisputable we must cast off the works of darkness, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, here he goes, he has a list for the folks in Rome. Walk properly, as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. So two couplets he brings out here. First of all, not in orgies and drunkenness. Is it okay to say orgies in polite company? It'll be broadcast over YouTube. It's, it's written here. And the Greek word, komos, it means reveling, uh, riotous behaviour. It means a, a letting loose of restraint. It particularly applied to, uh, in the first century, a group of revellers who would leave a drinking house and then go from house to house singing and uh, ribald and riotous behaviour amongst their friends. It was fueled by drink. Riotous behaviour, orgies, commos. So don't live like that. He's writing to Christians. I want to remind me, and I want to remind you, he's not writing to the world. I don't waste my time, and we shouldn't waste our time, lecturing the world on morality. What we give to the world is the gospel. If you just lecture morality to the world, poor world, what else has it got? That's all it's got to dull the pain and the agonies of sin. The only answer is Jesus Christ and the gospel. Once you've come to know the gospel and Jesus Christ and it's invaded your life, then we preach morality to Christians. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's telling the Christians in Rome not to go to those drinking parties and indulge in riotous behaviour, which he calls orgies or commos. And then he mentions drunkenness because what fuels the orgies is drunkenness. Once people are drunk, it lowers their sense of judgment and they end up doing things they would never have done were they sober and the next day they can often regret them. 
but then they can go so far in dulling and searing their conscience and their senses that they really rather quite enjoy it. So don't go that way. But it's fueled by drunkenness. Now the Greek word's interesting. Uh, methe, komos, orgies, methe, drunkenness. And methe was the uh, Greek mythological spirit of intoxication. You're not specifically alcohol here. You can be drunk on tobacco. You could be drunk on cannabis. You can be drunk on cocaine, certainly anything that dulls your senses of judgment and control where you're happy to let rip and be involved in this commerce and the orgies and the riotous behaviour. He's writing to Christians. That's why it's important to spell it out to Christians. I can't assume as pastor, and we don't assume as elders, and you mustn't assume as members that the pastor's okay and the elders are okay. And we can't assume as elders that you're all okay, that nothing like this happens here. It does. It does. I don't want to be specific, but there are members in recent times who have had to be removed from the membership for things such as this. Now, I don't major on these subjects unless they're actually in the text. We, we, we passed through it in chapter 13 because I wanted to rush on and finish Romans. But it's far more important we do a thorough job on the text. And so is this for you tonight? Are you moving in this direction? And God is speaking to you. Put it off. No, don't put it off. Cast it off in the same way the Sanhedrin gnashed their teeth at Stephen and threw him out, cast him out. Then gnash your teeth at your sin and your immorality and cast it out in the power of God the Holy Spirit. But don't leave a vacuum. Put on the armour of light. Belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. So, commerce, method, orgies, drunkenness that fuel the orgies, anything that will intoxicate or lower your sense of what is right or wrong where you let rip. Don't go that way. Don't lose control. Be in control through the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And next he comes on to another couplet, sexual immorality and sensuality. So he comes right now on to the seventh commandment, sexual immorality. Well, look, we've got some youngsters here tonight. This is nothing new. You hear this at school. Right, right down from primary school now. You're taught these things. So I'm going to teach you the right things. There'll be no graphic details, but sexual immorality. Paul says, no, he's writing to a church. He's writing to the church in Rome. What is sexual immorality? Well, it is sexual activity with one who is not your life partner. We clear on this sexual activity outside God's beautiful, bountiful boundaries. One man, one woman, 
in a lifelong commitment. Oh, sexuality was God's idea and his design. Yet see what havoc has been wreaked through sin, what destruction has been wrought throughout the world, families split apart because we can't follow God's design and God's rules and his instructions. Why? Because we're sinners. What we need is the gospel to restore us to God. Then these instructions come to Christian people. So he's writing to Christians in Rome. He's not lecturing the world. Paul declared the gospel wherever he went. He didn't... uh, When he writes the Corinthian church, I'm telling you not to associate with the immoral brother. I'm not talking about immoral people in the world, he says, otherwise you wouldn't have anybody to talk to. No, it's immorality within the church we need to deal with, says the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So one man and one woman in a lifelong commitment. What is sexual immorality? Then it's sexual activity with one who is not your life partner. It is interesting, I'll not name them, but you'll know, but I'll not name them. A couple were converted about four years ago, came to church actually, having been converted through the word and by the Holy Spirit without ever meeting a Christian. Within six weeks of coming to church, Jill and I had gone on holiday. We came back. She went to visit the couple to see on the mantelpiece lots of cards congratulating them on their wedding. You see, they weren't married. And Jill said, oh, I see you've, you've got married. Of course we have. Now, they used a term I've never used. They didn't learn it at St. Mary's Baptist Church, that's for sure. But he said, we couldn't live in sin any longer, could we? Where's he got that idea from? Well, he didn't get it from me. I don't say such things. You shouldn't live in sin. Where did he get it from? He got it from him. Taught by the Holy Spirit. Putting their lives in order. This is what God does. This is the effect of the gospel. And God's laws on sexual morality. One man, one woman in a lifelong commitment. This is for God's people to to take in and to build their lives upon. And uh, the little linking word, so not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Well, sensuality. The Greek word means unrestrained lust, lustful thinking and and, and thoughts. You see, what, what drives sexual immorality, the, the actions. Well, it's not just something we spontaneously would, would do. No, it begins with passions and, and a lust and, uh, and thinking that, that's allowed to run riot and to develop. Nothing wrong when David uh, saw the woman, Bathsheba, as she uh, was bathing. And he could appreciate the beauty of that woman's form. But what he should have done is not have a a second glance. That was a mistake. You look away. Uh, Appreciate the beauty of what God has created. The love of a man for a woman, a woman for a man. 
but not then to develop things in your heart, in your mind, and to go over and over as David allowed himself to do. And it comes out into actions, but it begins with lust. So sexual morality begins with a, a sensuality. And he indulged his passions because he was the king. Opportunity came his way. And he was the king so he could have his way. And the actions led to disaster. But sexual immorality doesn't just happen. It starts with lust in the heart. And Jesus spells it out in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. That's Mark. Let's find Matthew. Matthew 5, 27. Jesus speaking to his disciples and the crowd is rapidly gathering but this is addressed to his disciples primarily you have heard it was said you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body goes into hell. Deal radically with sin and the occasions and the things that fuel lustful thoughts. So the seventh commandment is what... Paul is inspired by the Spirit to focus on in the church in Rome. Is it necessary here in the church in Casalem? Well, we know of two who have had to leave the membership in recent times for these particular areas. I don't know how much further it goes, but I know my own heart and you know your hearts. There are timely warnings that God flashes up. The seventh commandment is not a disputable Neither is the fifth honour your father and your mother. Neither is the sixth you shall not commit murder. And murder begins with malice of forethought. Anger in your own heart. Anger will not do when you feel the passions rising. Cut it out. Cut it out. Do not be angry. Be angry, but sin not. There is a righteous anger, but far too often... It's a self-indulgent anger. I'm not getting my way. Shout louder. The eighth commandment is not a disputable. You shall not steal. Fill in your right expenses and your tax returns. Claim only what you ought to be getting. Don't steal somebody else's glory. If you're giving a sermon as a wonderful illustration then acknowledge it wasn't your own, but uh, somebody else's. And give God the glory, uh, most of all. The ninth commandment is not a disputable lie. Speak the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the tenth commandment maybe needs to be highlighted very much today. Greed and self-gain. All summed up. With this great commandment, this rule of thumb, this pocket theology, love your neighbour as yourself. So put off these things, says Paul. It's not a disputable. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that's clear enough. 
should have been reasonably clear from the end of chapter 13. But just to underline, moral issues are not disputable issues. We could spend an awful long time on this. Uh, I await maybe some further emails on the matter. But let's get back on track where we were and where we are going. So what are these disputables? Again, let me emphasize, they are matters which all true believers can either agree on or can agree to disagree on and yet remain in strong agape fellowship. We don't break fellowship over the issues that will be included here. And in Rome in AD 55, those disputables were not the gospel and they were not issues of morality. There were two things in particular. They were food and they were days. And it was down to them being Jews and Gentiles in the church. The Old Testament food laws, the Gentiles, some feeling, well, all the Gentiles feeling there's nothing to do with us. We're free to eat whatever we like. But the Jews having this baggage thinking, should I really eat that? And the Gentiles would be despising the Jews. The Jews would be judgmental on the Gentiles and any who ate the food. And similarly, over days as well. So here in St. Melons, 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away, what might the issues be that we shouldn't be disputing about? Well, we touched on it last week. Maybe the things we can and can't do on Sundays, we would, we would differ on. Uh, dress codes. Um, yeah, I think when I first came here, it was a three-piece suit. And then I lost the waistcoat. And then it was a, a jacket and trousers with a tie. And uh, then it was um, trousers with a tie and a pullover. And uh, it's quite warm again today. And there's, there's no tie. But looking around, I would look a bit strange with a tie. Because now, there aren't any. But there could be big disputes about that. What is expected? I remember going to my first uh, ballet minister's conference in the 1980s. Do you know everybody there wore a suit and a tie? It's just a done thing. I went again about five years ago and a guy who hadn't been there for about 20 years turned up in his suit and tie. Uh, only for one day though. He got the, the message. Things, things change and opinions can change. And some churches might make a great play over what you, you wear. Uh, and I suppose if I were to move on somewhere and went to a church when most of the men there were dressed in a, a, a tie and a suit, well, I've got one in the wardrobe. I've got several, actually. I think I'd be happy to slip back into that. Nothing against it in particular. It's not a disputable. Music. Music. There's a... A member saying to me last week, can I organise a little orchestra to play at Farm Church this week? I said, go ahead, go ahead, see what you can do. Well, the musicians were away, I think, so uh, it, it didn't happen. But would it have been such a bad thing? Such a bad thing? I think at Farm Church we were fairly safe. We'd have to have a serious discussion as elders for a few years before things might progress a little bit further in the chapel. But who knows? Who knows, Beth? I'm looking forward to being a backbench member. And just uh, supportive in any way I can be. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't rule that out. Is that such a bad thing that gifts and talents are used in the life of the church? Oh, but they'd be doing a performance. Are you doing a performance, Beth? 
You're not. You're not. But it would apply to Beth as much as to anybody playing her flute. What's the issue there? What is the issue? Not worth disputing on. I wouldn't cause waves over it, but it is an issue. I have different views on tithing. Do you tithe? Is it a strict 10%? We can differ on that. Education. Home education's on the increase. Some are saying we can't trust our children to this <coughs> wicked state um, curriculum. Others are saying, well, no, we need to have them in the state system because they've got to be salt and light out there. We can't withdraw them from the world. And so there are differences there. Uh, the COVID regulations. Do we adhere to them? Don't we adhere to them? Well, I'm pretty clear we adhere. But emerging from COVID, does the government say, well, now you are free to gather you, uh, what you can do, as many as you like, into the chapel? So that would be from the 8th of August, all things being well and keeping on monitoring the situation. So an email has gone out and we want your answers. Uh, what would you feel comfortable with? And you will differ on your views. And we could legitimately have different views. And those who are saying, well, I wouldn't feel safe, mustn't be judgmental on those who say, well, no, let's just go to level one, free for all. And those who are happy to go for the free for all mustn't despise those who are saying, I'm not too sure about this. I don't feel very comfortable. And so we don't quarrel on disputables. We have a healthy discussion and we fill in the email and we send it back. And I uh, had to chuckle this afternoon because uh, Dave said, I'm getting lots of responses and I'm doing a spreadsheet. Well, there's an accountant for you. A spreadsheet on all the responses. And we will consider them very carefully and I'm sure we'll come to an amicable, helpful uh, solution. Uh, the refurbishment could produce lots of difficulties, but do you know, I'm not aware of any. And I think we've moved at such a slow speed. But I think that's right. I think that's been absolutely right. We haven't rushed. And we, I think we're all on board. I believe we are. I think some of you might be coming up in September. Don't hold on to your hats, but there might be some progress made with the, the church meeting in September. But we want to take things slowly and for folks to be considered in their opinions and to be careful. And I think we've, so far, I don't want to uh, tempt Providence, uh, but so far we have been kept. The governing principle throughout is the principle to love one another <laughs> Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Doesn't despise. It doesn't judge. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the Decalogue, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Well, Next time, let's look to make some progress in having a closer look at some of these issues and what our Christian liberty means that we can and, and, and should not do. But for now, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for a brief time in your infallible word. We pray your word will continue to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our 
pathway. Lead us, we pray, in the ways of righteousness and in these moral issues. Or oh, help us to focus on what is right, to cast off the deeds of darkness and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk properly as we should do in the daytime. Give us strength, we pray, in Christ's name.